Looking to recharge your prayer life this year? Jesus Listens is a new 365-day prayer devotional from Sarah Young, available now at jesuscalling.com slash jesuslistens. There's hope in Jesus Christ. God is amazing, and when you seek Him, you will find Him, and He will change your life forever. Welcome to the Jesus Calling Podcast. Do you ever wish you could simply start over, or that you had a second chance? Maybe you feel like your life is too far gone, that there's no hope of ever going back to what could have been. But there is good news to be found in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 17, which says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. There is always a chance for a fresh start as our God meets you with compassion, grace, and beautiful mercy. Pastor Herman Mendoza came up through some tough years growing up in Queens, New York, enduring abuse from his father and finding it hard to find connection from his peers. He ultimately chose to get involved in gang activity and drug trafficking, which brought him the power and sense of connection he had always wanted, but also ended up with run-ins with authorities and ultimately jail time that he couldn't negotiate his way out of. He shares how God changed his path to become a force for good in a place where goodness isn't easily found. My name is Herman Mendoza. I am a lead pastor at Promise Ministries International, and uh, I also am the director of a children's program dubbed Powerhouse Kids in New York City. I'm uh, the father of three grown adults, and I have four grandchildren. I'm the youngest of five boys. We were brought up in Queens, New York, a town called Corona, which is extremely diverse. We have over 138 languages throughout the borough. My parents are originally from the Dominican Republic and they migrated to the United States back in the 1960s. I tried to find my identity in the community, trying to connect with the others, other kids, local kids, and thinking that by hanging out with them that I could you know, try to find, in a sense, myself and, and my true self and uh, got lost in the whole, you know, culture thing. The 1980s started off with just weed, marijuana. I was introduced to marijuana uh, at the age of 13 years old. And then from there, it just escalated to more hardcore drugs, cocaine and heroin. And that's when I started to get involved with gang activity in, in the community thinking that these people are going to shape me. You know, not my parents and not my culture in terms of my household and where my parents come from, but it was more the, the streets. And I was gravitating to that style. It was something I thought it was like a fad or a style. Other local kids were also involved in, in uh, gang activity and gang life. It became obvious that I was a troubled youth when I was going home intoxicated, I was high at times. My mom noticed my behavior. My father worked pretty much long hours. And you know, every time he would come home, it would be like three times, four times out of the week, he would listen to the stories that my mom would share with him about my behavior and two of my siblings. His reaction was, okay, I'm going to discipline him. And the discipline to him is pretty much by force in a sense. I used to get beatings from my dad. 
And that was a part of it, I guess, for me to rebel and to be sort of isolated. One day I was hanging out in the park, you know, having supposedly a good time smoking weed. And an assailant came or some individual came from another rivalry gang and pulled out a gun and shot the leader of the, of the gang. And it was right before my eyes. I almost got killed. I thought that that was going to shape me and change my life around. Unfortunately, it did not. Eventually, I got involved with this gang, with other kids, and we committed a robbery by stealing a car radio. And really, I just wanted to sustain the addictions that I had, which was cocaine. And so I started to uh, sell small quantities of cocaine to sort of relieve uh, this, this desire for it. And so I was then arrested. I think a lot of our young people, they tend to want to belong to a group of people because they feel isolated, alone, and they gravitate to the desires of the flesh. I think in my case, all these things, thinking that those things, the pleasures of the, of the world, will fulfill one's life. And unfortunately, these are the things that are really destroying us as young people. Right after I was incarcerated because of the robbery, my parents concocted a plan to send me to the Dominican Republic. My grandparents decided to, and this was all prearranged with my parents, to enlist me in a private school, thinking that that would change my behavior. And that would come this new man, this new person. But I rebelled against my grandparents. I rebelled against my teachers. I just wanted to leave the school because I felt that I didn't fit in with the other kids. And so that really brought a lot of problems with my grandparents. I started to consume alcohol. And after about a year and a half in the island, my grandparents called my mom and said, enough is enough. I'm sending him back to New York. I came back to the States and got involved, you know, fully with my brothers and distributing cocaine. And this was in the mid nineties. And Mayor Giuliani in his tenure year of, of being the mayor of the city of New York, he was cracking down on drug traffickers. I was then arrested and it made the news, $3.8 million seized of cocaine. Two brothers incarcerated, facing life in prison. And I was eventually sent to the notorious jail, Rikers Island, where there's 10 jails within the island, uh, over 14,000 inmates incarcerated. And I was eventually sent to a penitentiary and then to a um, drug program, which I would get my sentence reduced from three to nine years to basically six months. They sent me to this military-style camp. One of my experiences was that I had a former Marines, you know, on my face, <laughs> screaming at me, you know, give me parade rest, you know, give me a hundred push-ups. And I was like, what in the world did I sign myself into? But I wanted to get out of jail. I wasn't thinking about society, the communities I was hurting. I just wanted a way out of prison. And so I remember going into a chapel and I went there to negotiate with God. Throughout my life, it has always been negotiations. It has always been making excuses for myself. You know, telling my, my, my wife, I'm going to change. Don't worry. I'm going to make another $5 million and then I'll change. Or I'm going to do this and I'm going to change. Or I'm going to stop cheating on you. And it's always negotiating my way out of 
the current matter. And so I did that. I went to, to the chapel and I said, God, if you allow me to get released from prison, I promise you, I will not drink alcohol for six months. Instead of saying, God, you know, change this man. I'm sorry. I'm convicted of all the wrongs, all the sins that I've done, Lord. Forgive me, Father, you know. It wasn't that kind of prayer. It was a prayer of negotiation, you know, of self. I finished the program. I was released from jail. And after the six months, I wanted to celebrate that I was going to end my sobriety. And that's what I did. I went to a local bar while I was out on parole and, you know, got drunk. And I ran into an old acquaintance that was like the second in command of a particular cartel out of Colombia. And he was then controlling one ton of cocaine. And he said, do you want in? You know, you can make millions of dollars again. I was just fighting with my conscience. My heart was screaming, don't do it. And I eventually accepted. It reminds me of Proverbs 26, 11, as a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. And that's what I did. I went right back into the drug distribution world. We were eventually arrested by the Drug Enforcement Agency. I was bailed out on a half a million dollars. The same facility where I was housed at is where El Chapo, the drug lord from Mexico, the notorious drug lord, was housed. And my brother was also housed there. And so I got bailed out. I'm running around going to different casinos and clubs, drinking every day until one day I went to go see my attorney. My attorney says, listen, they want to give you life in prison pretty much, 18 years minimum. I decided not to go to court, and so I became a fugitive. And one day after you know, partying and hanging out, I told my driver, take me home, and I lived in a, a gated community. And the following day, the phone rings, my wife picks up the phone set, and they told her on the other line, this is the DEA, state police, marshals, tell your husband to surrender himself. If not, you know, it's gonna go bad for him. I tried to get out, try to escape, but eventually, obviously, they had their guns drawn, and I went back inside the house, and I told my wife, open the door. My life is over. And so they arrested me and hauled me to the awaiting car. They sped away. I told the officers, I want to end my life right here because it's not worth anything. And he said, you never know what could happen. My brother that got arrested with me in the federal rap, he surrendered his life to Jesus. And he said, Lord, send my brother to the same facility where I'm housed so that I can share the gospel with him. Because if not, they're going to kill him. This was all God setting everything up. He would have it no other way because I waived my extradition rights and I ended up in the same federal prison as my brother. And there was a day room within the, um, the grounds that I was housed in and there were inmates having prayer service. And my brother used to invite me. I want you to hear the word of God. I was making my way to the day room and I was having this conversation with God. And I said, God, you know, if you're for real, all I want is peace. I am losing my mind here. I just want peace. And so I entered this chapel. I sat in the back, you know, observing this religious service. I wasn't understanding what was going on. I was seeing inmates that were facing life in prison like me. 
you know, testifying to the goodness of God, giving testimony of marriages restored. I was seeing in my mind, it was just flashes of images in my mind of the people that I harmed. You know, mothers perhaps selling their bodies to, to obtain the drugs that I was spewing. People killing themselves just to receive the poison that I was selling out there. And I just felt so bad and so convicted. The preacher says, amongst 55 inmates, there's someone here that has been searching for things of this world, money, drugs, sex, and all those things has brought him to a place of destruction. But God wants you to know that he loves you and he wants to give you peace. And the peace that he wants to offer you surpasses all understanding. That was it. I felt the tugging in my heart. He says, you know who you are. And I made my way to the front of this church. And I just got on my knees and I started to cry and cry and cry and ask God for forgiveness. And the Lord, His Spirit enveloped me there. I felt that peace that surpasses all understanding. For the very first time, it wasn't about me. It wasn't about excuses. It wasn't about negotiating with God. It was about the wrongs that I've done and that Jesus paid the price for my sins and that He can make it all right, even though the sins that I was committing there's a price to, to pay for them. And I had to pay that price. I wanted to make amends with everyone. I remember I went to the um, phone area and I made a phone call and I called my mom. And I said, Mom, I'm sorry. I I'm sorry for all the hurt that I've caused you and dad and, and the family. Please forgive me. I'm a Christian. I'm born again. She was so happy for me. And so my brother and I began to immense ourselves in scripture. Uh, my wife came to see me in the visiting area and she said, look, I have bad news to share with you. She wanted to divorce me and I didn't know. And I said, give me five minutes. I have good news to share with you. And so I shared the hope that's within me. I shared Christ to her and she was just so impacted. And she said, I want what you have. And so we confessed our sins to one another God began to restore our marriage and reconciliation began. I applied for two colleges to obtain a college degree on theological studies. And so I did that for a while. And my brother and I became the pastors of the inmates of this unit, uh, Five North. And so eventually I was sentenced. I was confronting 18 years. The prosecutor was pretty much speaking on my behalf, saying, Your Honor, this man has done incredible things in prison. He has impacted so many lives. He's educated others. And whatever time you impose on him, I hope that he continues to do the things that he was doing in prison out in society. The judge saw my case and said, Mr. Mendoza, I'm sending you out as a free man. You are revoked and restored. There's hope in Jesus Christ. God is amazing. And when you seek him, you will find him. And he will change your life forever. It's an amazing story because, you know, from former drug lord to pastor, 
I started this not-for-profit, was recognized by elected officials by working with young people in my entrepreneurial skills. I started a company. I got into journalism. That gave me access to political figures, elected officials. Then they saw what I was doing. They connected me to the UN. Then I, I was before heads of state speaking at the UN. Then I went and, and hooked up with NBA players, started ministering to NBA players. And I say this not to glorify who I am, but it's who I am in Christ and what God has done for me. You have to come to that place where you have to know Jesus first. He will navigate you through life's obstacles and life's challenges. God enables me to have freedom through prayer, to talk to him and for him to remind me that he loves me, he's with me, and the Holy Scriptures are there to guide me each and every day. You know, prayer is just the essence of who we are. It is our, it's the breath of life. It is everything to me personally. And this is where I seek guidance through the Holy Spirit, through prayer. And that's what really shapes me and gives me a sense of direction. Even when I prepare my sermons on Sundays, you know, I, I love Jesus Calling. It's one of my devotional materials and it's just so impactful. It really speaks to the heart. I'm going to read a prayer from Jesus Listens, May 8th. Mighty God, you give strength to the weary and increase the power of the weak. I have various kinds of weaknesses, spiritual, emotional, and physical. You use them to humble me and train me to wait for you in trusting dependence. Waiting for you is closely related to trusting you. The more time I spend focusing on you, the more I grow to trust you. And the more I trust you, the more I want to spend time with you. Waiting for you in the midst of my moments also increases my hope in you. This hope blesses me in countless ways, lifting me above my circumstances, enveloping me in your unfailing love. In your hopeful name, Jesus. Amen. To learn more about Herman and his ministry, please visit hermanmendoza.com. Stay tuned to advice for parents from Stephen Arterburn around helping your kids navigate screen time after a brief message. During times of transition and unknown next steps, it's more important than ever to cling to the promises of God and to tune your ear to what Jesus has to say. Jesus Calling for Graduates is an encouraging compilation of 150 devotions from Sarah Young's brand, Grads will find topics such as discerning God's will, self-worth, trust, support, and much more. Jesus Calling for Graduates is perfect for both high school and college graduates as they embark on the next chapter. Look for a special custom edition of Jesus Calling for Graduates, available exclusively at faithgateway.com. Enjoy more peaceful moments this holiday season with Jesus Listens for Advent and Christmas. This inspirational holiday devotional includes prayers, reflections, scripture verses, and words of hope from God's heart to yours alongside stunning seasonal illustrations, making this a treasured gift or keepsake. It's ideal for anyone longing to draw closer to Jesus during the Advent and Christmas season, and those who are looking for comfort, calm, and peace in place of the holiday bustle. 
and families who want to cultivate a tradition of Advent prayers and devotions together. As you pray scripture throughout this holiday season, you'll experience not only God's answers, but also how prayer connects you to God, changes your heart, and brings peace and joy to one of the greatest celebrations of the year. Jesus Listens for Advent and Christmas is available now at your favorite retailer. Our next guest is founder and chairman of New Life Ministries, Stephen Arterburn, who hosts the number one nationally syndicated Christian counseling talk show, New Life Live. Stephen unpacks how we can support our children in a screen-saturated world and talks about the role of parenthood during these crucial times. Well, I'm Stephen Arterburn, and I am the founder and chairman of New Life Ministries, and our whole mission is transformation uh, with God's truth and redemptive relationship. And I have five kids and a very brilliant wife. It's interesting how things have changed. The biggest challenge today for any child in today's society is the screen-saturated world. You know you can't trust everything on the internet. And yet, that is exactly what kids are doing. They want to be a part of something, and in their desire to be in a group or belong, they buy into some really damaging philosophies and practices. I call this toxic affinity, and that is that I will believe something that isn't true just because I want to belong and be affiliated with this group that I love. And so our biggest challenge is what goes into their brain from a phone or a computer. We're all aware of is that if a child has too much social media or access, there's an impaired attention span. And then you've got these uh, physical, mental, psychological, cultural, and spiritual side effects. Parents need to be praying that their child, that they would be wise in being able to make the choices that they do. One of the first pieces of research that we quote is from Dr. Alexandra Samuel, who's a data journalist. And she divides parents into three categories, limiters, enablers, and mentors. So the limiter, and I was one of these, that's the person that's worried about all those side effects. And so they're limiting the time and all the things, and they believe that anything other than the internet has to be better, uh, you know, like reading, hobbies, playing outside. Now you'd think, well, yeah, that sounds great. But actually, these children of limiters are most likely to access pornography intentionally or accidentally find pornography. Um, and then they're three times most likely to impersonate a parent and be a fake identity online. So just limiting isn't the answer. Now enablers don't restrict anything. They're, they think there's no harm in anything or they don't love their kids or they're not engaged with their kids. They're actually at a lower 
risk. Not a lot lower, but a little lower risk than the limiters. But here's the goal, and here's what we're trying to help parents be, is to be a mentor where you're modeling the standard, and rather than restrict kids from all things online, you're bringing them online early on, teaching them and guiding them in the standards that you expect, the standards that'll be best for them, your expectations. And in so doing, you're giving them time, attention, you enroll them in online activities, you search for new apps and things that you guys could do together, you find the video games you can play with them. So you are actively engaged online with them in safe, healthy, fun or safe, healthy, informational videos. And this group is most likely to avoid all the pitfalls of social media. And so you want to be a mentor in the area of social media and screens. You might have made some mistakes and you have given them more access than they should have. You have to ask yourself, do I want to be liked by these kids or do I want to add restriction while I'm also doing the mentoring thing and being more involved with them? And we encourage parents to go from this too much access to limitation while mentoring, even though kicking and screaming, they're going to do it or have to do it. They're not going to like it, but it's the best for them. But you want to add the mentor piece that engages you and involves you in something that's really important to them. You need to find the devotional material that is inspiring to you. And, uh, you know, if you look at the history of Jesus Calling or Jesus Calling for Kids, thousands and thousands of people have said, this is helpful, I want more. That would be a great resource, either of those, depending on the maturity of your child. But a kid going off to college, give them Jesus Calling, but start younger with Jesus Calling for Kids. Uh, it will help them apply whatever the scripture is that they're reading. But I think Jesus Calling and Jesus Calling for Kids, they've stood the test of time. So many people have been blessed by those. So it's always great to read truth that has great commentary. To learn more about Stephen and his work, please visit stephenarterburn.com and be sure to check out his books, Understanding and Loving Your Child in a Screen-Saturated World, wherever you buy books. If you'd like to hear more stories about finding a new life in Christ, check out our interview with John and Stacy Eldridge. Next time on the Jesus Calling Podcast, we'll hear from Pastor Levi Lusco, who shares how he's seen what can be called a loneliness epidemic in our world and how the universe can remind us of God's unending love for us all. I think when we lift our eyes, we'll be reminded, hey, the, the one who made the moon, the one who with his fingers called out the stars with his voice, with the word of his power, separated light from darkness, he loves you, he has a plan for you. He came in the person of Jesus to this world. He wants to have a relationship with you. Thanks for listening to the Jesus Calling Podcast.
Every week, we'll bring you stories from people who share their journeys of faith and how prayer and a relationship with God transformed their lives. Be sure to follow us on Apple Music, Spotify, iHeart, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And leave us a review so others can be inspired weekly by these stories of faith. Finally, you can find encouragement, resources, and more on the Jesus Calling website at JesusCalling.com.